Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's guest is Mark Stevens. We're talking about the Fireballer. It's available on January 1st, so New Year's Day, um, but it is featured uh, as part of the Kindle Unlimited Prime First Reads. Um, that was one of the options to pick, so it's available there if you haven't already seen it. But anyway, this was just such a cool conversation. I enjoyed hearing about Mark's experience just developing this story venturing out into something different for himself but also being able to just really uh flesh out a story that focuses on you know he he got to exercise his his love for baseball um in this story but either way i'll let you get to it here is mark stevens We've got Mark Stevens today. We're talking about the Fireballer. It comes out on January 1st, a New Year's Day. Um, however, if you're subscribed to Kindle Unlimited or account, then you can you should be able to get it for Amazon's first reads. So thank you, Mark, for joining us today. This was a very interesting um, you know, book and like an ode to, you know, American pastime. It was really cool to to read it and um, you know, dive deeper today. Well, thanks a million for having me, Megan. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So to get started, can you give like a um, summary of your book so that people can follow along with the conversation? Sure. I mean, it's a pretty simple idea. Um, There's a sort of baseball side to it, and there's an emotional side to it. The baseball side to it is a simple question based on the fact that right now with uh, the record speeds that pitchers can throw at 105, 106 miles an hour right now, the batter has so little time to swing. Uh, If you watch any video of a pitcher throwing a fastball at that speed, it is almost laughable. And, um, you know, it's just uh, something that, you know, makes you (laughs) sit and wonder how a human being can throw a ball that fast and that accurately. And in in the fireballer, uh, my pitcher can throw even a little bit faster than that at 110 miles an hour, where the batter has based based on physics, based on how long it takes to pull a bat around from your cocked position to through the strike zone, there's no time left for a batter to swing. So this pitcher, my guy Frank, is ruining the game of the of baseball. He's basically putting an end to any hopes for an offense. And he, yeah, he's just one pitcher and yeah, he's um, a f- a phenom, an outlier, but he's raising sort of an existential question for the game. Well, that's the baseball side of it. The side of the story is when he was a 12-year-old boy pitching for a little league team outside Atlanta, um, one of his pitches hit and killed an opposing batter. And that's not a, um, you know, a spoiler or anything. That's a fact that's very upfront in the novel. Uh, Frank doesn't talk about this, what happened to him as a 12-year-old, but um, it's a very well-known thing that happened to him. It's just something he doesn't talk about. And um, so that's those are the two halves of the story. I, yeah, I liked how you kind of juxtapose that because, you know, people don't think there's so much emotion or your psyche, like, you know, or any sort of mental that's not always what they think of when they think of like sports performances or, or, but it absolutely is in that pressure. And especially cause like he loves the game, he loves it. But on the other hand, he's pushing the limits and he has to be careful because he, he absolutely does not want to like history to repeat itself. And it's all with all the politics of the game too. That's, that's what he is also struggling with. And 
I liked how you captured kind of like all those little nuances in this one story arc. I thought that was very cool. So kind of going into your background, this is definitely a shift for you. Um, You you have a few books published under your belt, um, but in a different genre. So kind of like expand on that a little bit and why, you know, what led you to to share, um, to shift gears and share this new type of story? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, So yeah, I really have thought of myself as a crime fiction writer for a long, long time. I started writing fiction, full-length fiction in the early 1980s. I didn't get published till 2007, but the only thing I worked on in those um, years was crime fiction. Um, I like the format. I love the variety in crime fiction. I like how clean it is, beginning, middle, and end. Either mm. the you have a variety of, of protagonists, obviously, and obvious, and you know, 99% of all crime fiction novels end with the antagonist getting captured or killed, and it's you know a nice return to normalcy at the end of most crime fiction. I could deal with that. I could manage that. Literary fiction, I love reading, but I always was daunted by the possibility of writing something without that structure that crime fiction gives. So, yeah, I've been involved in um, Rocky Mountain Mystery Writers of America. I was on the National Board of Mystery Writers of America. I go to BoucherCon. I go to Left Coast Crime. I um, love my mystery writing community uh, people. I wrote five books in a series based on a female hunting guide in Western Colorado uh, called the Allison, Allison Coyle Mystery Series. One of those books won the Colorado Book Award for Best Mystery one year. I had a lot of fun writing them and, and enjoyed that um, run. And I, in 2018, when the fifth book was published, I was noodling around with another, stand, with another book, actually a standalone this time, and um, crime fiction. And what veered me off, pulled me off, um, yanked the rug out from under my crime fiction feet was a conversation I had with a good friend of mine over lunch in a park, over a burrito, just sitting in a park, a good friend of mine for the last 25 years. Um, and uh, he, he and I are both big readers of crime fiction, and we both love baseball. And he said to me, you ought to write a novel about a pitcher who ruins the game by throwing a baseball so fast that there's no time left for a batter to swing. He basically laid out the baseball side of the premise right there on the spot. And we talked about it for probably a half an hour, an hour, kicked the idea around. I kind of liked it. Um, It was, again, still daunting to me. Um, (laughs) But that night, uh, that very night, I'll never forget it. Just one of those moments where I wasn't really kind of, concentrating on the idea or thinking about it. It was just like part of my writer brain was probably percolating along with that question. And the other half of the novel just kind of dropped in out of the blue, as they say, to use the cliche and the the whole emotional side of it, the question about what would, what would the novel be if this other incident happened when he was 12 and his, one of his pitches hit and killed a kid. I mean, the whole, idea of this with the 12 year old issue the little league everything just sort of fell in and i called my friend back the next morning and i laid that out to him and he he said that's it that puts Uh it all together and then i immediately called my agent um or emailed him i'm pretty sure i didn't call him spelled out what i had and he said go for it and we'll stop all the crime fiction we'll pull all that back for now and write that book so i i dug in nice so what we're like 
you know, were you nervous at first because you were approaching like, you know, uncharted territory for you and your professional role, your writing career? And, you know, any like what were the biggest lessons learned as you kind of embarked on this new um, challenge? Yeah, I was petrified. Um, I absolutely had no uh, I'm not I'm not an outliner anyway, but I knew in crime fiction, ultimately, the bad guy had to get killed or captured one of the two. Um, so I could work my way toward that point, um, not being a, an outliner and being a total seat of the pants writer um, in, in literary fiction. And believe me, when I say literary, I think that's a little pretentious. I just hope it's a good <laughs> story. But, um, you know, I just started writing. I needed to get to know this character. And I need to put him in um, in situations that created the kind of things which I think make for good reading in crime fiction, which is conflict. Um, you need to always up the jeopardy for your main character. You need to, to more and more isolate him. Um, need to, you know, f- create a character that he's really just, um, as we all are, ultimately alone in this world. We pretend mm. and like to think we have we sure we have family we have you know other structures and organizations we belong to but ultimately at the end of the day we're all alone making our own way thinking our own thoughts so i just tried to get to know him tried to put him in tough situations and to your point exactly he does not want to repeat history he does not want to ever be in a situation where he feels what he felt as a 12 year old um and in that awful, awful day. Yeah. And kind of like bouncing off of that, like Frank definitely has some PTSD from that. And so did you, I just kind of like explore that a little bit, like what kind of research or anything or any ideas you have, or like what was developing that arc for him? And, you know, if you did any like research outside of obviously the game of baseball, but kind of like leaning into the PTSD part of it, like, well, just his past trauma and what, how that would like affect him psychologically and mentally. Yeah. There's, there was tons of research on the baseball side of it, but the, and that was really fun to read as much baseball nonfiction as (laughs) in the couple of years I was writing the book, but on the emotional side of it. um, Yes. There was also lots of research. uh, And I would point to one book in particular that really helped me a lot. And that was a book called half a life by a guy named Darren Strauss and it's a memoir and Darren is a fiction writer, but um, in high school one day he was driving his car and he accidentally hit and killed a girl, a fellow classmate who was riding a bicycle. And that book is so powerful, partly because I think he's a really good writer And secondly, because he does not hold back in terms of what happened to him physically. In Darren's case, and I'm some over, probably over summarizing, but literally he had lots of internal intestinal issues from having gone through this experience. And um, it's just a phenomenal book that really just galvanized for me the whole character side of Frank Ryder, my main character just gave me so many insights into um, what it would be like to go through that kind of trauma and guilt um, situation. And yeah, there are lots of books along those lines. That book is the one um, that I kept within arm's reach the entire time, because there might be a line or a 
idea that really would just help me understand uh, my character. Mm -hmm. And I hope I didn't copy or, you know, steal or borrow, (laughs) overly borrow or anything like that. But that was the book that um, really spoke to me. And yeah, I did a lot of other research online and poking around. There's plenty of, plenty of guidance out there about how to get through a tragedy. Yeah. um, Because it was kind of like definitely that, that powerful aspect to it. No, but that's fascinating. I would love to check that out um, because it's, it's just so tricky like to approach that with a character. Cause there's um, and you know, with such like a, a professional athlete, like going back to the isolation thing, how you had to like, kind of when you were developing Frank Ryder, you had to put him in those situations. And it is kind of like, you know, that's like on the, it's behind the scenes because it's like, he's one of the most in your book. He's one of the most talked about, people in the world because of what he's doing and he's just like outperforming and pushing like humans to the limit and but like on the behind the scenes part of it like you know his apartment isn't very homey like he doesn't he doesn't really settle in he doesn't really get comfortable it's almost like he doesn't feel like he deserves like what he has or it i don't know he's like a little complicated that way but that's the beauty of it that's like you know, you're exploring that behind the scenes vibe of that character of like someone who's recognizable on the world stage, but then, you know, back at home, he's just like, or just in his brain, like he's, he's just like tortured and dealing with so much. He's very unsettled. I didn't want him to feel like he's got all this money now because he was the number one draft pick, um, huge signing bonus, all that kind of good stuff. Um, But you know, he's looking for some sort of way to ease his mind. And and he doesn't quite know it um, until something happens in the course of the book. He doesn't, mm. I don't, I, I don't think he quite knows what he's been through. And, you know, he reflects on his high school years a lot. And he thinks back about to things that happened to him in high school. But yeah, he's, he's, he's 22 in the book. He's still getting to know himself. So kind of like bouncing off of like the research process, um, what was like the most interesting or fascinating or surprising thing that you learned either just for not, not, you know, from all sides of it, whether it was researching baseball or researching like, um, you know, PTSD and stuff like that? You know, I, I don't know if anything, one thing jumps out at me. Um, I can just say one thing that really um, appealed to me a lot as I dove into this was just the sheer variety of characters in sports. And, Mm. um, you know, we tend to kind of put them all in the same box. They've got on a uniform, they're doing whatever sport they do. But um, I loved reading all the memoirs of different players and biographies of different players and just getting to know them as people. And then how, their personality played out on the field and they're you know there's these cool characters who are um stoic and never show any expression on the field when they play and it's all very mechanical and you never see them do anything in terms of express emotion or get frustrated then we see other players who are just you know basically you know um so out there so out their their personalities are so big and so expressive that they can't help but be the same way on the field and the more you get to read about these different guys and um how they approach the game you realize one of the things that was sort of 
uh, reassuring, I guess is the right word for me, is that I could put any human being into that uniform, my character. And I didn't have to, there was no one secret way to become a major league baseball player. A team is full of um, characters and of all all variety. They can do these phenomenal things on the field, whether it's fielding or stealing bases or catching a, a fly ball after a, you know, long run or, you know, climbing the wall and catching a ball, anything like that. They can all do these same things, but um, a baseball team is just full of colorful characters. And yeah. So that, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's something that you maybe you wouldn't, but I mean, you have experience um, developing characters anyway, but yeah, I guess that's, that's really cool how you were still able to like learn, learn new ways to involve and, have them navigate all these different types of relationships and everything. And, and plus like the political aspect to kind of going off of that, like in making sure you were including that, like all like from, you know, the press room or from the conference room or from a private meeting room and how all those different personalities, like in those different positions as decision makers would be involved in, I thought that was so important too, but yeah, that's cool that, that you were able to still have fun with it, trying out like a new way of, of doing something you've done like a bunch of times before. Yeah. Thanks. I think mm-hmm. the the other character in the book, Frank, um, Frank Ryder is the pitcher, but the, I also have um, many chapters from the point of view of the owner of the Baltimore Orioles, the team that Frank pitches for, and his name is Ray Gallo and just developing backstory on team owners and, so I did a lot of research on the different kinds of owners that own teams around the league and just um, developed, again, another character to help show that the bigger organizational side of how would baseball itself, how does, I mean, baseball is a construct. It's a game. The rules mm-hmm. are, there's a whole bunch of rules changes coming in next year. There was a big rule change last year with the designated hitter coming into the national league. So there's the owners of the team, you know, constantly have their own kind of puppet strings on this game and can adjust it and can keep tweaking it. Or right now they think uh, offense is down and it is. So they want to up the offense. So we're going to have, they're going to ban defensive shifts. They're going to increase the size of the base so that base stealers have a better chance of um, stealing bases. Um, The game is constantly being tweaked. And I wanted to look at that side of the story too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and it's yeah because it's kind of going back into there's so many cooks in the kitchen and the players are the, like the ones being affected and they have very little say in the matter unfortunately so it's like a two-part question um what were the most enjoyable parts to write and then what were the most like challenging parts to write difficult parts to write well, I can answer the second part first. The most challenging, uh, and I probably have to talk about this in a way that sounds very circuitous because there is one big emotional climax in the book, and I won't give away what who's in the room, basically. Um, but I probably rewrote that scene 30 or 40 times trying to get the dialogue right. That was really, really challenging mm. moment. Um, and I've had readers since tell me that um, it, it, it works. Um, and it was just one of those scenes where my 
my friend who I mentioned, the guy who dropped the whole idea for this initially, I wouldn't be here without him. Um, I wouldn't have written the fireball. It would never have occurred to me, but he and I went around and around on how to approach this and what, um, what I really had to focus on what the outcome of that scene would be. Where would it leave Frank? And that took um, some, some drafting. So that was easily the most rewritten scene in the book. Um, and I guess the most fun part of it was I'm a huge baseball fan. And so I've read a lot of baseball fiction and nonfiction. It was just really fun to try to capture the game um, in a different way or, you know, mm. with my, with my, you know, it's obviously going to be through my lens and um, seeing the game from a pitcher's perspective, learning how pitchers think and strategizing what sequence of balls to throw, fastballs, um, curveballs, sliders, change-ups, whatever it might be, learning about how a pitcher thinks about that. Um, there's a great book by Tyler Kepner, who's a fantastic New York Times um, sports reporter and he wrote um, a book called the history of baseball in 10 pitches and uh, it's just a phenomenal book that talks about all the different mechanics of pitches and different times those pitches have been used in the history of the game and sort of learning about that and applying a little bit of it through the prose I was trying to put together was a real blast I just think baseball's the best so it's mm-hmm. fun to- yeah that kind of that enthusiasm and that kind of like um, you know, your love for the game definitely came through on the page. And, but it's so funny because that you, you know, like that you had so much fun with it because like I, I, when I was reading certain scenes, like in the middle of a game, for example, where it's like, he's, he's going through his mind and he's just like got his to-do list. And I thought like, oh, how many times do you think he had to like rewrite these? Because he had to learn, like, I am at, like, how do you kind of, from the mind of the pitcher, like in that exact, like the most stressful situation. And then, yeah, what's going through his head? Like, absolutely just two more or like six more strikes is all I need. Like, for example, and, and it was so, um, like to the point, but I imagine, yeah, he's doing his best to like clear out the noise and just focus on the next throw, you know? And I just thought that was so interesting how, cause it definitely is like, different than probably what you had been used to in the past of if um you know because you wrote in third person and i don't know if you're you usually write in third person and so kind of that also is a little bit challenging because it's like detaching yourself a little bit from the character and you're asking the reader it's the first person versus third person it's like i guess the like what kind of work i don't want to say it's more work but it's like what kind of work will the reader have to do to like get in the zone and to like really get in the mind of the characters and the pitcher's mind is probably much different than um, the point of view from like a detective or, you know, from your other genres, uh, your other works per se. So I think that's really cool that you had to just figure it out (laughs) and like how many times you had to figure out what would be going through Frank Ryder's brain on the mound, like during the, these high stakes games, you know, and I think you kind of nailed it. I was like, yeah, well, not much if ideally right like <laughs> well he, that's really interesting um so and this might be a stretch and uh others can go ahead and knock me down if if they want to on this point but you know there's some comparison to being a writer and being um uh, a, 
pitcher, any athlete, where there's this weird combination where you really want to focus and bring all your attention and process and think and think and think. And then there's another part of it where maybe the best days writing or where you just kind of let it go and your brain kind of your, your analytical part of your brain turns off and you just kind of let your subconscious take over and you kind of tap all the senses and you really are, you lose yourself and you get inside your character and you can write for 20 or 30 minutes and you're just sort of like, it's just sort of coming out of you naturally. And I think also a pitcher, some pitchers anyway, can just overthink everything and mm. they're in so much that they can't really throw. But the most beautiful pitching performances you see sometimes are just look so effortless. And they're so, they, they basically are owning the batters. They, they are teasing the batters. They, they are, they know how the batter is thinking and they just throw them uh, pitches that they're not expecting in the sequence they're not expecting. And it's just a thing of beauty to behold uh, where they're just um, three strikes and you are, you know, like they say, good morning, good afternoon, good night, mm-hmm. and bench, you're done. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of like touching on your love for baseball, what is then, what, what's your team then? Yeah, I grew up outside Boston, and I'm a, you know, I, I remember walking into Fenway Park for the first time. I was nine years old. My neighborhood buddy, Carl Vercoloni, took me, and um, his father took us, I mean, and just walking into Fenway and being a Red Sox fan for a few years by that point, I remember they were playing the Cleveland Indians that day. I just was, I couldn't believe how beautiful the grass looked and being inside. I've been a Red Red Sox fan ever since. And by the way, they are right now being horribly mismanaged and had a horrible year and they need to completely redo everything, redo everything they're doing right now. But (laughs) and wound up in Denver um, in 1980, and when they got uh, National League team, the Rockies, in the early 1990s, became a fan following a National League team for the first time up close. So I, I follow the Rockies, also another bad team. Uh, with um, <laughs> and actually, actually, some of the issues in the in the Fireballer um, because Frank pitches for the Baltimore Orioles, which for years have been a chronically um, bad team. Um, that's why they're the number one, they get the number one draft pick and get to pick Frank Ryder. But the Rockies, Orioles, many other teams, to me, there's just this head-scratching question as a fan, is where is the plan to win? There's Why do we tolerate teams that don't have a clear plan to go out there and get good players and try to win? They just seem to tolerate mediocrity. So I kind of wanted to look at that issue too. Why do fans put up with that, and should they put up with that? And um, I mean, I, I I don't understand it. If you're in sports and you own a team, why wouldn't you be lighting fires all over the place to make sure you've got a really competitive team on the field every single day? Yeah, yeah, kind of bouncing off of that. So like, because you know, you got the Cubbies as like full circle. That's the game there. The <clears throat> kind of spoiler alert, but that's the team that they start off with, the team that they end up with. Um, you know, I'm a Chicago area. The Cubbies are my dad's team, so I'm a fan. <laughs> and like, I like sports in general. I enjoy myself when I go to the games. Um, but yeah, I not, um, you know, I don't dive deep into, uh, the numbers or the stats or the trends or things like that. Um, so very like quasi fan, I guess I would say. Um, 
So why did you, what's your connection to Chicago then? Why did you choose um, the Cubs for, uh, you know, those, those showdowns? Yeah. Well, I knew I, in the end, I wanted um, the Baltimore Orioles, Frank's team to be in the world series. So they'd be, be playing a national league team. Um, I happened to my, both my parents grew up in Chicago. I happen to think the Cubs are a fantastic team. I've always been excited by them. I think, you know, Wrigley Field alone just has so much character to it. And with mm-hmm. the Ivy, the Ivy walls, just the history um, between Baltimore um, and they have a much newer park, of course, Camden Yards. Um, but they, there's still a lot of character in Baltimore. And just I kind of wanted that match of two kind of old classic um, major league teams, two classic old major league towns. And I thought that would be a good balance between the two. And I, I just, again, Chicago, so much character, so much character. And um, it just sort of rings, it echoes, you just saying the Cubs just echoes back through the decades of mm-hmm. baseball. It gives you so much to work with as a writer. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's a, They definitely is. I mean, I'm a little biased, but I can, there are a handful of teams where, you hear that you hear that name and you're just like yeah that's like like the one example that everybody thinks of when they think of american baseball is there's a handful of teams that uh, people think of and yeah that i would agree that the the cubs is one of them just a couple more questions before we wrap up here um what do you hope readers get out of uh this story yeah that's a great question i mean i think um you know in a much bigger sense sort of just everyday sense about life. I think that one of the underlying themes of this is what you kind of alluded to early on in our chat, just about external appearances versus what's happening inside. And I think just as a general rule, we just tend to judge so quickly. We tend to think we know somebody so quickly. And we, um, I think, need to go through life a little bit more tolerant, a little bit more understanding. And um, until you really sit down with somebody and get to know them for a long time, you really don't know what led them to be like they are today, good or bad. And there's just so many complicating factors in life. And there's so many ways to, particularly now with social media, to um, build a story about yourself and put an image out there into the world that is totally different than what you're really going through. Um, and you can build that story and um, concoct something that is a long way from who you really are and what's really churning up inside you. And I think that's just, I, I hope the fireballer is a little bit of a uh, reminder as I think all good fiction is just takes us inside other human beings and seeing how they click, how they get through life and also what they're doing to improve their outlook on life and or what they're going to do to help make the world a better place. And that I don't want it to sound too ooey gooey or kind of (laughs) all cleaned and, you know, all tidied up at the end um, at all, because I don't think life works that way. But for Frank's journey, I just hope they um, appreciate the human experience and what he's the trauma he's been through and how he finds a way to heal. Yeah, absolutely. There's because, yeah, there are so many layers to like, what he's going through and the ripple effect that it has, um, you know, for both sides to it, there's a side that he's like, he's threatening 
you know, evolution of the game, essentially. And he's also trying to figure out like his own personal struggle. And both of those are just like, you know, where he, he, he couldn't, it's so hard to keep them separate. You know, it's so hard for him to, he's got to handle his own shit first. And then before he can like assess the over, you know, the overarching problem, which is what kind of message are we sending if we try to like rein in one guy, you know, and it's, there's so many, yeah, there's so many layers to it. And it was just so cool to kind of like, you know, how you kind of like weaved it in there. But then it's also at the end of the day, like, yeah, you're looking at this like one man's um, journey and the isolation of it all on top of just dealing with what, what humans deal with, you know, like we all, like how you said, like we all got something going on and there's, you know, we only know part of the story and like going off of social media, it's like, nobody's posting, not a lot of, a lot of people are posting their failures, you know, it's, the side that they want that they're trying to you know put out there and so um no that's yeah i I, you definitely touch on all of that with frank Ryder. and kind of going off of that what advice would you give to frank Ryder? um i guess towards the end of the story (laughs) without giving too much away yeah (laughs) yeah because i i would just say yeah he goes through a pretty big change and uh he um send a message to the game Uh, i'll kind of leave it at that but um my advice to frank at the end is to um you know go about your life in a way that makes you happy um and not not follow anybody else's expectations for you and and ultimately that's probably the best advice we can all give each other right is you know understand why we're doing what we're doing are we doing something to please our folks, our community, um, a brother, uh, a sister, um, some friend, are we trying to impress them? Or are we doing something for ourselves, for what we believe in and doing, following our own path? And I think, I think it's, you know, it's interesting to stop and look around at people, you know, who are happy and maybe not in the big sense of the word, super successful in terms of money or wealth or, fame or anything but just people who are content doing what they do every day and if if it's something kind of um a smaller version of a of that life that you know they're happy just keeping their head down and going about their life or being a creative person writing songs or you know playing in a small community or just some modest life that's okay too if you're happy happiness is is a, a very very hard to um, define thing, I think, for us. And um, we have to define it for ourselves and then go make it happen. And we have to really understand what context we're working in, under, what expectations we're, we're li- trying to live up to and why. And the better we understand that, I think, and I'm no psychologist, I'm just trying to say, Frank, keep on doing what you do. And, um, you know, the, the, the cliche these days is... Um, you know, be the best version of ourselves. Uh, that's a phrase I've heard now for years, and it seems like I run into it more, all, more and more all the time. And but it's it's sort of true. Be the best version of yourself. We're not all the same, and thank God for that. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's kind of like, and it's happiness. It's so subjective too, and kind of like how you said, if a person's perfectly happy maintaining 
and not necessarily searching for the next big thing all the time, then yeah, if that's happiness for them and it's keeping them out of trouble, <laughs> you know, it's like, why not? Why not? You know, figure it out. Um, I, I love that. And it's so true. It's like, don't, and it also helps, you know, along the lines of just worry about yourself, you know, like don't worry about everybody else and focus on you and, it's yeah, it's almost it's just as simple as that. We're just about done here. What um do you have any new projects that you're working on that you could talk about? I am working on another non-crime fiction novel uh set in the world of rock and roll, um, which I'm uh probably about a third of the way along. And my agent is uh currently marketing two standalone crime fiction novels that I've been working on for years, but they're in pretty good shape now, and I hope he can find a publisher for those. Um, but yeah, mostly bearing down on the rock and roll novel. So I I learned that in the Fireballer that you can write uh, non crime fiction, or I can write non crime fiction, <laughs> and that's a you know I wish I maybe discovered that earlier in my life, but uh, who you know who cares? Now, now is now, and I'm just um, really enjoying um, writing something else in a similar vein, but a whole different setting. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> that's so much fun. I love that that you you came out of this with a new confidence <laughs> to handle other things and step out of your comfort zone. That's so cool. Um, I love it. I, cause I, some authors, I know they either try different genre or they try um, for a new audience. For example, if they're used to writing middle grade and they decide to go for a young adult audience or vice versa, you know, I think that's so cool when they branch out and it, or, and it works out well. So, Mark Stevens, what else um, do you have a website and social media you want to plug real quick? Sure. Uh, writer Mark Stevens is my uh, website. On Twitter, I'm Writer Stevens. Uh, Facebook is Writer Mark Stevens. And uh, Instagram is Mark54Stevens. And um, love to connect there for sure. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. So the fireballer comes out on January 1st. If you're, you got prime Amazon unlimited, um, Kindle unlimited, whatever that's called. Uh, it's a part of the uh, prime first reads and you could check it out there. Otherwise we just got a few more weeks until it's officially released. Mark Stevens, once again, thank you for your time. This was really cool to uh, dive a little bit deeper um, and learn more about, you know, how you got this story out there. Um, So Thanks for chatting today. Megan, thank you. And I really appreciate the great questions and the great chat. And there you have it. That was Mark Stevens. Uh, We're talking about the Fireballer. It's available on January 1st. But as I said before, if you do the Prime First Reads, if you have a Kindle Unlimited, you can easily access it there. Um, As always, you can find links to purchase the book and to follow him on social media in the show notes. Please rate, review, subscribe. Follow us, uh, the Nerd Cantina and Cantina Book Club on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, thenerdcantina.com to keep up with our book reviews. And check us out on Facebook and join the community to just um, keep in touch uh, with just some funny people and everything nerd. So that being said, everyone have a great Christmas. And as always, thank you for listening.